You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 179. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To give Squarespace a try for free for 14 days, head over to squarespace.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of the episode, we'll be speaking with Diana Chaplin of dianachaplin.com about her experience with the service. Now we're moving on to today. Where I am in the world is very exciting. I'm on my way to Ghana. That's right. I cannot believe this is truly happening. This journey actually began 687 days ago in December of 2014. I remember the day pretty clearly, or at least the moment of that day, very well. I was in my bedroom in Austin, Texas, lifting weights while listening to a Lewis Howes podcast with Tony Robbins. As Tony was sharing his story when he was younger and he didn't have any money or he gave away the last dollars that he had to his name, this is really early on, obviously, because Tony's very wealthy now. He mentioned in the episode that if we aren't willing to donate a dime when we only have a dollar, we're fooling ourselves to think we'll donate more when we have more. And as he was saying this and I was lifting my weights in that bedroom, something really clicked for me. I really decided in that moment that I too resonated with that idea and that at the time, even though I was not making very much money at all, in fact, I've been using my Jess LC credit line to finance my company at that point in time after stopping business coaching and stopping Jess LC to focus on the life with intention online work. It took me 14 months to put that program together after studying for eight years across all types of teachings across many different sectors. And during that period of time, I was not doing the business coaching. I was not doing Jess LC, but I was still financially obligated to my family to provide the same amount of money. So as I used that credit line to basically kind of self-fund my own MBA or graduate degree, if you will, I was not donating 10% of my revenue. But when he said that whole diamond a dollar thing, I knew he was right. At least for me, there was something that really resonated at a deep level. So I decided at that moment to start donating 10% of all Jess Lively creative revenue to build a school through pencilsofpromise.org. And again, this is something that felt so crazy to think that I might one day be able to make the impact of actually building a school for a deserving community in somewhere in the world. But at the same time, like I said, I just knew that giving when I didn't have a lot or when I did have a lot, either way, just making sure that I was giving as I went felt really good to make sure that not only is this work that I do uplifting myself and those of you listening or taking the classes or buying the intention tattoos, but to make sure that we have an impact that's broader than that, to uplift others in the world who may not have access to this podcast or this kind of content. So because it felt so right at the time, I started doing it. And the idea of actually getting to the fundraising goal of building an entire school seemed insane. But at the same time that I felt like that was totally like unrealistic, because here I was, $15,000 in debt let alone having the ability to donate the tens of thousands of dollars it would take to actually build the school. However, at the same time that it seemed crazy, I also knew that eventually it would happen. It would eventually happen simply because, not because I set a date or a goal to do so, I just committed to the act of it. And I knew that eventually, sooner or later, that goal would be reached. 
It took me 463 days to be exact to reach that fundraising goal to build our first school with Pencils of Promise, which is in Ghana. And as I said, I'm so excited to go there and see it. In fact, I'm going to be there during their inauguration day. So I'm going to see the community and the children see their school for the first time. I'll be vlogging this. I'll probably be crying in it along the way. And really, you guys, this is all based on you. Because of your listening to the show, joining Life with Intention online, doing work and worth, buying intention tattoos, tea or t-shirts, whatever it is that you have done to continue to, I don't know, just somehow interact with the lively community, even if it's just listening, even if you haven't bought anything, just listening to this show is in part the reason that this school exists. So thank you guys so much. I actually donated the school, obviously, and dedicated it to you since you're the ones that actually created it. So on the plaque on the side of the wall, it says dedicated to the lively community. And this is something that I have found so powerful, especially right now, as a lot of people might be feeling like they're afraid or fearful after the election results. I've seen a lot of stuff on social media that is really positive. And then there is some other stuff out there that is a little bit more fear based. And I just want you guys to know that, I mean, I was sitting there in that bedroom, lifting those weights with debt at the time. And... I'm not telling anyone, by the way, to have debt or not to have debt. I felt very aligned with my intuition at all phases of this. So you'd have to do what makes you feel aligned with your intuition, whether you use a credit line or whether you don't or whether you donate or whether you don't, whatever it is, make sure you're aligned for yourself. But just know that I did not at the time feel like it was really possible. I just knew I was committed to doing what I could given where I was in the current circumstances. And I think this is so powerful for us all as I share in this episode because we recorded this the morning right bright and early after the election results were in. You'll hear Adam and I, as I get into the interview, share about this. But just know that voting that we do is important. Yes. Should we vote? Absolutely. But honestly, no one's sitting there in their eulogies or their legacies thinking about the fact that they voted as the most important impact that someone has made in their lives. So let's look at what we can do where we are and give in ways or put our time, attention, and resources that feel aligned for us into the things that are most important to us. So we're not waiting for elected representatives to do everything that we want to have done. Let's go out there and do it ourselves. I feel so empowered because of this, and I did it when I didn't feel very empowered at all in terms of resources at the time, but slowly and steadily, it did happen, and now 687 days later, I'm going to go see what was only an idea back in the day. So please see this as hopefully something that's really inspiring for you and what might be possible for you as well. There's so much potential when we commit to something, not based on time or goals or targets, but just the continued act of living our values in the present moment. And now let's move on to today's episode. Today, we're speaking with Pencils of Promise founder, Adam Braun, in honor of this huge milestone. Adam began this quote-unquote for-purpose business with just $25 and has since grown the organization to build over 400 schools worldwide. In the episode, we're also going to talk about the mindset shifts that he made around the idea of being a nonprofit versus for purpose and why that happened. For those that are into the whole idea of being mindful about our speech, there's a really fascinating take in there in this interview about that. And also, we're going to talk about how he leveraged his corporate job and used it to his advantage for his company and actually sees anyone's corporate job as a huge potential advantage for making a meaningful impact in the world. 
In addition, we're also going to share a big project he's working on next, which once I found out about it, I am all in and cannot wait to dive more into his next project as well. Let's go to the show. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's start with your background. Tell us how you got to where you are. Well, I'm born in New York City, although obviously I don't remember it. (laughs) Uh, At the time, my parents had been living in the city for a little bit, but were looking to raise kids outside of kind of an urban jungle, um, looking for a more suburban upbringing. So uh, I ended up growing up in Connecticut about an hour outside of the city and fortunately had just a really loving family, great siblings, great parents, great, you know, grandparents nearby, cousins all around for all the holidays. And that was pretty formative in, in my upbringing. And you know, I ended up really interested in working in finance from a pretty young age because it seemed like a lot of the folks who seemed to be the most successful in the town where I grew up, at least monetarily, seemed to work in finance. And I was really strong at math at a young age, but I was also very competitive. And so this idea of Wall Street where you could kind of make calculated bets and learn about companies and the end outcome would be, you know, being very, very rich seemed very appealing to me in my teenage years. And when I was in college, I, I just started to kind of question a lot of the underlying assumptions that had led me to believe in the things that I believed at the age of, call it, you know, 19, 20, 21. I want to stop you right there. So what triggered those questioning beliefs? Because I had the exact same thing happen to me as well. I think to some degree, it's just that stage in your life where your days are not being scaffolded for you by others and you have to decide what type of life you want to live. And, you know, I went to Brown for undergrad and Brown just not only is is a great institution, but part of the ethos of Brown University is that you craft your own path. And I remember, you know, with meeting with my freshman advisor and him saying, look, there are no safety nets here. I'm not going to kind of swoop in and watch your GPA closely. And, you know, if it looks like you're failing out of school, rescue you. This is the type of institution that draws and attracts and, you know, enables people to craft their own path. And that means that if you want to fail out of school, so be it. But... Uh, on the other side of that coin is the fact that you will have amazing people, amazing resources, access to you know, explore whatever ideas you want, um, and you will find the best of the best at you know every turn. And you know Brown doesn't have a core curriculum, so you take whatever you want from day one. You can even craft your own major, which is not as easy as they actually make it sound. But you know you can do that if if that's your drive. And so you know I think just the kind of flexibility and the freedom to explore. I also was going through. A lot of, I would say, religious exploration at that point in my life. I was Jewish. You know, everybody in my family is Jewish. I'm the grandchild of two Holocaust survivors. So it's, it's always been a very big part of my life. But, you know, I think as a kid, you just kind of buy into the belief system that your, your parents oftentimes share with you or call it, you know, your, your church, your synagogue, your mosque, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, at that stage of my life, I, I started to really deeply question, should I believe every single one of the beliefs that I've always been told or should I take the opposite approach? And should I start believing nothing and then essentially create a foundation from what made sense to me and build up rather than kind of looking down and reevaluating? And so that's that's what I started doing really my sophomore year. And I think it started in this kind of religious exploration and, you know, finding what I believed in, finding what I didn't. And not just in my religion, but across all religions, uh, at least the major ones. And it led to this kind of desire to figure out not what I was in the world, but really who I wanted to be. That's fantastic. And I can relate so much to your journey in doing that. I did it in my junior year of college as well. For me, it was personal struggles with how I grew up and then being faced in business school with basically becoming that and facing what that was like to grow up as a child in the same environment. So it sounds like you had different triggers that got you started to think differently. But I know that when you landed outside of school, you did kind of go down a somewhat traditional path at first with Bain, correct? 
Yeah. So, you know, the kind of formative experiences were one in that desire for, call it, you know, self-exploration. I went on semester at sea uh, my junior year and, you know, that kind of changed everything in my life. I became obsessed with backpacking and travel. My first exposures to the developing world, the sense of kind of, you know, call it global citizenry acknowledgement that I had been living in, like all of us, a bubble of familiarity with our surroundings. And yet there's so many other cultures and people and just ways of life that it kind of spurned more and more desire for exploration. And so I'd always, you know, start businesses and these businesses would kick off enough cash for me to go and backpack and travel. And so in my my early twenties, you know, call it junior year onwards, I probably traveled to about 50, 60 countries as a backpacker, not like a mountain climber backpacker, but like enough clothing to last me two weeks. And you make that last about four months and you go through a ton of countries over that, you know, you never know where you're sleeping or waking up the next morning. And it was just an incredible, incredible period. But, you know, I came back with this real fire and, and sense of desire to one day start an organization that was going to build schools and help educate children across the world. You know, I saw so many kids without uh, access to quality education and just seemed like such a fundamental social injustice that I, I really wanted to dedicate you know, a large part of my life to, to helping make a dent in. And, you know, the more time that I spent in the field with different organizations, what I kind of saw was that there were two types. There was either the, you know, kind of large institutional organization that was often started by business folks late, you know, in their lives uh, when they kind of made a lot of money and said, I want to give back. And they could raise a lot of capital, but they never worked directly with the communities. They were never like deeply ingrained in these villages. They usually worked with governments and the governments from the people that I'd spend time with in the villages never actually, you know, kind of got the money all the way there. There's always, a you know, some degree of kind of kickbacks on both sides. Maybe not always, but very frequently. And then the other side of the coin is you have these like, you know, individuals who are deeply embedded in the communities. Usually, you know, they like marry somebody that comes from one of these villages or you know, these kind of uh, international um, locations. And, you know, they do great, great work, but they don't have any business acumen. They're just driven by passion. They can never build anything that really scales. And and I kind of felt like, well, I self-identify with the latter at that stage of my life. But, you know, I'm on this path to, to become the former. And, you know, one of my uh, mentors said to me, like, Adam, you know, I know that you want to go build one school and teach it, you know, in that one school and live in like a village and in, in, on this island in, in Thailand that I was really in love with. And you want to spend the next, you know, years of your life doing that. But, you know, you're uniquely positioned, given your kind of business background and, and training to not just build one school and teach in it, but create an organization that will un- enable, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of others to have that same experience. And, you know, you have to recognize your greater potential here. And with that in mind, you should get some really formative business training. So I went through interviews in, in investment banking and management consulting and you know, fortunately ended up with some great job offers, but the, the most appealing one to me was working at Bain, you know, arguably the top consulting firm in the world. But, you know, what you really see is how great companies are built. And while most people, I think, were there to understand, you know, how to build at the time, like, you know, a leadership position in a Fortune 500. Nowadays, it's probably more interest in startups. I was really there to learn how to build a great nonprofit. And it was, you know, an incredible experience. Okay, so you basically had an exit strategy for your career right from the get go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was like a wolf in sheep's clothing the whole time that, that I was at Bain. I mean, I was really upfront with people about the fact that I was there to learn how to one day build a great nonprofit. And, you know, I, I've shared this advice with a lot of people, but, you know, you can look at your first or second or third job, you know, kind of out of college or, you know, if you didn't go to college, like in your kind of formative experiences in the workforce as a slog and like, oh, well, I'm junior, I'm entry level, I have to do all this, you know, kind of grunt work. 
or you can look at it as a paid version of business school. And that's how I viewed it. I just, you know, every day I would tell myself like, this is paid business school. So if they want me to stay till midnight, that's fine. You know, somebody else is paying a university, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to have the same experience. These guys are going to pay me to have it on the other side. So if they want to work my butt off as long as I'm learning, I'm totally for it. And I think it kind of led to a different experience while I was there in that I was willing to put in really long hours, which you often have to. And I didn't see it as like a downer. I saw it as an opportunity to learn. I think that's going to resonate with so many people or maybe make them tweak their heads a little bit about where they may be in their careers right now and maybe questioning how they can get more out of it. Because I know my audience has a large portion of people that are wanting to do something for purpose as you describe it. So I'd love for you to describe what for purpose is. And then also, can you tell us what you would suggest for those people that are right now in their Bain jobs, if you will? Sure. I would say, one, if, if you're in one of those roles, recognize how your career is going to take this incredible arc, right? I mean, you know, if this was 30 years ago, it'd be very different. You know, the average person was staying in a job 10 plus years. You look at, you know, a little bit more Gen X, it tends to be closer to three to five years. I mean, the average millennial uh, stays in a job 18 months. And so, you know, across the first, call it 10 or 15 years of your career, you're going to have probably at least, call it, you know, five, six different jobs. You know, if you're at the, call it, you know, Bain Institution or, you know, a bulge bracket bank or, you know, just a more kind of corporate traditional environment, you know, even if you're not loving the day-to-day functions of your job or even if you're not, you know, inspired and excited by the particular client that you're serving, I see this a lot with people that go into marketing. Like, you know, you meet college students and it's always like, oh, I want to work in marketing because I think it's really cool and sexy. Then you get to work in an agency and you realize it's ridiculously long hours. The pay isn't particularly great. And you're selling products that you're not usually inspired by. And people kind of get burnt out and frustrated. But the truth is, all of the experiences that you're having at this stage in your life, if that's where you are, essentially are are the foundation of, you know, the next, call it 50 years of your career. And the better formative learnings that you can gain now, the more well-prepared you're going to be in the future. And especially for those that are more motivated by, you know, this idea that I guess I coined back in, I think it was 2011, uh, I was asked to speak at the Google Zeitgeist conference, which is like a who's who conference. And you know, I probably was was too young and, you know, not exactly, you know, the caliber of person that was on the stage that that day. But, you know, they gave me an opportunity and I felt like I had to essentially express something that was going to cut through the noise and, you know, kind of call it make me memorable, make pencils of promise memorable to the people in that room. And, you know, a couple of weeks before I'd been invited to the launch of this big media party in New York. And I'm like on this, you know, glitzy Manhattan roof. And I ended up getting into this probably like 20 minute conversation with this guy who's a venture capitalist. And we're talking about the startup scene. And, you know, a lot of my friends at that point in time were other startup founders. And I didn't associate like as a nonprofit founder. I was just the founder of an organization, a company, you know, something that was trying to do something in the world. But, you know, for whatever reason, our tax status was 501c3 nonprofit. And so we have this great conversation about startup culture and valuations and, you know, kind of tapping into my finance background. I can certainly, you know, speak that speak. And eventually he was like, so tell me about what you do. And I said, well, I founded and run a nonprofit called Pencils of Promise. And literally, immediately, this guy's eyes just like went right over my shoulder for who the hell can I talk to next? Really? Oh, God, it was it was so demeaning. And it was so honestly, you know, kind of degrading personally, as well as to the organization that, you know, as soon as I said the words nonprofit, this guy was not interested at all in what we did. And, you know, I kind of realized as I was taking the subway home that night, why would I describe the work that we do, which I think of as the most meaningful, the most purpose-driven, some of the most important work, 
And we're an organization that really had the DNA of a, a for-profit. I mean, we ran like a great company. We held ourselves accountable to results. We hired world-class talent. We built one of the best brands, I think, in the country in a period of time when, you know, starting in 2008, when people said this can't be done. Like, why would I use the word non, which is synonymous with worthless or meaningless? You know, that those are the dictionary synonyms in front of a word that we're not focused on which is profit. I mean, we're focused on bringing profit into the lives of others, for sure, increasing the kind of utility and value that they feel. But, you know, why would we describe the thing that we are not motivated by when talking about ourselves? And so at, at Zeitgeist, I kind of said, look, I think we should get rid of the word nonprofit. I think of ourselves as a for-purpose uh, entity. And there was kind of this like audible gasp in the room. And people came up to me afterwards and were like, you know, I've never heard it described that way, but I couldn't agree with you more. I sit on the board of this organization. I founded that organization. And you know, these are purpose-driven organizations. Um, and so let's not just define them by their tax status. And so for anybody out there that, you know, is thinking about trying to make a positive impact in the world and using, call it, you know, the idea of building a company as a force to do so, you know, I would think of kind of two different axes, uh, not just one. There's the nonprofit for-profit spectrum, which because it's in our tax code is not going away, but that's just a, a tax implication. And then there's the separate, you know, for-purpose, non-purpose axis, which is really about are, are you trying to maximize just the you know cash flow of your business or are you actually trying to serve a mission? And I find that you know companies, whether they're nonprofit or for-profit and tax status, um, if they're solving for a problem and that is their North Star, that's kind of what guides them going forward, then they find their way through the really challenging times and they end up far more successful than those that are purely about making money. Absolutely. And I love this idea, just even from a personal standpoint, I think people can take this for something to think about as well. So even as you were saying this, I teach people about values-based intentions and how to live from their values. And one of the things I nail home is that we want the positive aspects, not the negatives. So for example, someone might say that they want to not judge other people, but really that is the same as the nonprofit, not judging is in there. So I always encourage people to consider accepting others rather than not judging and focusing on what they want more of. And that's the same thing for some people with uh, even the idea of plant-based eating and using that term instead of other terms that can seem synonymous with what they're not eating versus what they are eating. So I just love that you're bringing that turnaround into the business sector as well. Yeah, I mean, on that note, I'll, I'll share something that, you know, maybe some of your listeners might actually enjoy putting into practice. But, you know, a friend of mine on semester at sea, we were 21 at the time. But, you know, you'd go out and you'd have all these amazing experiences when you got to certain countries and you come back and you share it with your friends when you got back on the boat. And at one point in time, somebody was sharing a story and I was like, oh, that sounds so amazing. I'm so jealous. Right. And like you'd hear that phrase, like, oh, I'm so jealous, it, you know, if they experience something. And my friend, his name is Dave, just like a sweetheart of a guy. He was like, hey, I just wanted you to know, like, I actually, instead of saying I'm jealous, I took it out of my vocabulary and I just say I'm really happy for you instead. And it's been I don't know, a decade plus since I was on semester at sea, but it's something that I've used for a long time and it really does change. Not only how you feel about that person's experience, but how you feel about your own and your relationship with that person when they say like, oh, I was at that game and, you know, I, I watched the buzzer beater and I saw it live. Instead of being like, oh, that's so amazing. I'm so jealous. As, as just like a matter of speech, just saying like, oh, man, I'm so happy for you. That's incredible. It will totally change your days. So, so I'd encourage any of your listeners to adopt that. Yeah, I just have like waves of goosebumps going down my legs as you said that. That is a huge, wonderful thing. I cannot wait to start using myself. I'm really actually just did a recent episode about the power of speech and how we can use it to make ourselves happier. And that is definitely a turnaround I would like to continue to do more myself. So actually, this is another subject. And I did not plan on this, but as fate would have it and flow would have it, 
the election results just came in and I checked out your Instagram and you were right on the same page as I am. So there's a question. I'm not sure what the, you know, this is going to come out a week from the election results, but the climate's probably going to have died down a bit. But what I can say is I loved a question that Pat Flynn asked you. And I know that people might be asking me or may come up with, hey, Jess, what are your thoughts on what happened? And I'm going to ask you to answer the question Pat asked you in response to the election situation, no matter what people are thinking about it. What the question is, is very simply for you, what is the mindset we need to have in order to affect the most people in the world? Well, so Pat probably asked me that a while ago. You know, the mindset needs to be one of recognizing your unique purpose in the world. That's what I come back to is to recognize that you have a distinct purpose in being here. And I, I deeply, deeply believe this, not just with myself, but with every individual that you know, I've ever met, that I've ever spoken to, that I've ever kind of come in contact with. I don't think we're here by accident. I don't think that, you know, the 7 billion or so people on the planet, you know, is just like happenstance in science. I, I really fundamentally believe that there is some magic to whatever has given each and every single one of us life. And within that, you have this unique set of formative experiences, of relationships. You, you have a unique perspective. And, you know, the world is going to change drastically in the next 10 years. And you should have a, you know, set of beliefs on where the world is going to go. And then with <clears throat> that knowledge and then combining that with the knowledge of your unique set of experiences, relationships and viewpoints, you know, ask yourself, how can you most positively impact the world in the way that you uniquely can for as many people, obviously, as possible in a positive way and reflecting on the election. You know, I was I was thinking about it this morning and like what I kind of wanted to tweet out. I mean, last night I you know kind of reshared a post that I'd written three weeks ago about giving a speech in Indiana. And I had an hour and a half drive to the location where this speech was happening from the Indianapolis airport. And the driver was like a hardcore Trump supporter. And he started asking me about the election. I didn't want to go there, obviously, because you get into this super political conversation. I was a, you know, Hillary supporter. And, you know, I, I was like hardcore for Obama. I, I campaigned for Obama back in 08. And it was the most enlightening, most helpful conversation that I feel like I've had or had had throughout the entire election season was speaking to the person who's most diametrically opposed to my viewpoints. And it was also like weirdly both frustrating and so refreshing to just understand, like, this was not a bad person. This wasn't a racist. This wasn't a sexist guy. He just fundamentally did not believe that the candidate that I supported was the right person. And he had a lot of misgivings that I might not have shared, but it helped me understand the other side of the table. And so, you know, I think this morning, the one thing that was top of mind for me is last night reinforced something really, really powerful. And I hope every single one of your listeners like takes this and, and applies it. And it's the fact that anything is possible. That, that's what I take away more than anything last night. I mean, you know, some people are super sad for the country. Some people are elated. You know, obviously, as a Hillary supporter, I'm, I'm more saddened by the results than anything else, because it's not the America that I am most excited about. But that said, you know, more than half of this country feels a certain way and is looking forward to a future that they believe that this candidate is better prepared than the other. There's no doubt, like, these are two candidates that very few people believed in to begin with. So a lot of people felt like they were selecting between the lesser of two unappealing candidates. Honestly, it was a lot like Brexit. Everyone was focusing on the lack of what they didn't want more than what they did want. And all the energy and attention went on Trump. And of course, it's the law of attraction. What you think about expands. So as you talk about Brexit or Trump, that's what is on the minds. Even if it's against it, you're still thinking about it and putting energy there. Yeah. So kind of put a ribbon and bow on this like anything is possible. Idea. I mean, think about the fact that yesterday, even at like 5 p.m., right, 
I'm on the West Coast. So 5 p.m. West Coast, like this was over, right? I mean, you have the most adept statistical models, the best, you know, call it pollsters. There's, there's no event literally in the world that is more hyper analyzed to come out with an accurate prediction of what is going to happen in, you know, the coming hours than the American presidential election. And not only yielded a result that basically said, hey, like, it's going to happen. Hillary's our next president. I mean, it was like a done deal, you know, for the most part. And even within that context, the exact opposite can happen. And as somebody who, you know, tries and, you know, builds a company every you know single day and kind of feels like you're putting it on the line to do something that others deem impossible and seems so hard and so challenging. And, you know, even for like a little kid to think about, hey, like, could I, you know, hit a game winning shot or hit the home run that's going to, you know, kind of make me the hero. Like we all kind of envision these futures. And, you know, I think the biggest crusher of, you know, the type of future that we want to build is, is truthfully just self-doubt. I mean, it's fear. And the entrepreneurs that I've seen that make it work are those who just kind of push through the fear and believe that anything is possible. And even as somebody who deeply didn't want the result that we now have, I try and look on the, the bright side of things always and take away like what is the inherent lesson here. And I think more than anything, if you look at it and just say like, this is proof that regardless of what anybody tells you, regardless of what every single expectation is, I mean, every like political pundit, every normal person was like, there's no way Trump can win given what he said or how he's acted. And, and he somehow did. And rather than being pissed off and saying like, this is bullshit and I'm, I'm upset, I'm sad. And like making that your social media feed for the next four years start to work on solutions and recognize that this has opened up another door of hopefully possibility in people's minds that they can make whatever they want happen because somehow against all odds, this guy just did. This is exactly what happened to Brexit. They went to bed assuming it was done yeah, and they woke up to a totally different response. Same scenario, having been around the world for this last six months, watching this happen in Europe, it is literally like replay and I had the feeling it was going to happen that way. I don't know why, but just having seen it happen there, I just recognized how much energy was going towards what they didn't want versus what they did want, and then recognizing that's what played out. But here's something that came to mind just for myself. I think a lot of people see their voting right now in America as the most important thing they can do. And yes, I think we should vote. There's no question of should you vote or should you not vote? Sure. But I actually think it should be the least important, impactful thing that we do. So to do so much impact that that is the least impact that you actually make as a person. I'm actually pretty generally neutral about it. I don't really care because I know that ultimately my future is not determined by that much at all compared to my own personal power within myself to make choices, actions, and decisions that work for me. And so for me, I think that that's something to think about. I think everyone's looking at, oh, this is your civic duty. This is the most important thing you can do. Well, what does that mean? The rest of the four years of your life, you're not doing anything to impact the community around you in a greater way than that vote? Like, let's get out of our focus on this being the thing that determines our lives or the impact we have on others and think much bigger. We are thinking so small. If we think one little vote on a checkbox, which with the electoral system often has already decided whether we voted that way or not, why are we thinking that that's what we're going to get stressed out about? Why are we not living in joy and making the impact we want to right where we are? That's what I'm doing with Pencils of Promise here with you. And that had nothing to do with the political candidate. It had nothing to do with my tax structure. It had nothing to do with any of that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I was thinking last night and even kind of wrote a little bit about was essentially this idea that, you know, people are obviously either happy or, or devastated. But at the end of the day, you are selecting a representative. 
right? That, that's what the president is. Like they're a representative of your beliefs, your hopes, your aspirations, you know, your values, but they're a representative out in the world. And you should be focused on your ability to go out and execute because you are the real deal. Like it's on your shoulders. It's not on the president's shoulders to enact the things that you want to see in the world. Yes, they have, you know, a tremendous pulpit and power and platform, but at the end of the day, it's on your shoulders and you still have to go out and create the value and the experience and the life that you seek for yourself. Rather than voting for other people to do it for you, because that's what we're doing. If we're leaning exclusively on the government, then we're saying that we have no ability to go out there and do anything that we want to do for ourselves and for others. Yeah, well, one thing's for sure, you know, but we are waking up on a morning where the world is going to be very, very different from this day forward. And, you know, regardless of where you sat on this outcome, it should, if you look at it from either angle with, you know, a level of positivity, it should embolden you to say, you know, I can craft the kind of world that I want because, you know, there's going to be a lot of change coming for sure in the future. And that enables opportunity for, for people with kind of, you know, the fortitude and the gumption and, and the ability and, and oftentimes, you know, hopefully the integrity as well to make their mark. So I have two last questions for you. What internal doubts or resistance are you currently going through personally? Well, I think the main one, you know, there's, there's kind of two. One is personal, one is professional. The professional one is that I spent my last, you know, really decade focused on how can I serve you throughout the developing world in eight years of, you know, pencils of promise. And uh, I co-led the search for a great new CEO because I wanted to start to focus on, you know, leaving uh, a positive impact on education here uh, at home as well. And so I'm spending most of my time outside of the time that I uh, allocate to supporting pencils of promise on building a new venture, a new for-purpose business called Mission U. And Mission U aims to become a uh, college alternative for the 21st century because I've just seen people crushed by student debt. I think it's, you know, truthfully why we have such a divided country is the level of income inequality and college is, is supposed to be the way towards social mobility and, and students are getting crushed by it. So I can't share too much. We'll launch it in February, but people can just, just go to Mission U, the letter U.com and sign up for that mailing list. When we launch, we'll hopefully be pretty public about it. But, you know, the kind of doubt of can you do this all over again? And kind of stepping outside of your comfort zone, which is something that I've advocated to so many others, and I felt like I needed to drink my own Kool-Aid. So that's the first one is like, you know, when you've had an experience where, in my case, I started Pencil Promise $25, and, you know, now there's almost, you know, breaking ground on 400 schools around the world. You know, you look back and you kind of accordion the experience into like, oh, well, here's all the success points. And you forget how many hard nights and days went into that and just, you know, the level of effort and just there's, of course, for any entrepreneur, always some level of self-doubt. But at the same time, you have this, like, hopefully kind of well of belief that this thing is going to be made possible and it's going to, you know, create the the journey that you want for it. And so Mission U, it tends to be a lot of that mind share. The other one that, that truthfully is probably far more important is that my wife is 32 weeks pregnant with twins. And, you know, in about a month or so, hopefully no sooner, but in about a month, I'll, I'll become, you know, a father and not just a father to one, but you know, if, you know, every day we kind of hope and pray for great health and, you know, becoming a dad to twins is just, you know, not only the greatest responsibility that I could ever take on in my life, but it's, it's the thing that I, you know, kind of feel like I know least how to do. I've never done this before. And so I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, how can I, you know, become the, the, the person I want to be for those children. And, you know, also just in supporting my wife and making sure that I'm the best spouse possible to her and, you know, setting that, that example for my children that uh, I would hope to set. So uh, impending fatherhood and starting a new company. 
I love it because you said you wanted to teach when you were sitting there in Laos or in Thailand. And here you are, you're teaching through the schools you're building all over the world, through the Mission You, and now with your new two children. What a wonderful way to keep teaching. So last but not least, what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? You know, I, I would say that if you're not putting yourself in positions to fail and, and fail really badly, then you're not taking enough risk. You know, I think, you know, your question is about at the start of the journey. The start of the journey is when you should be swinging for the fences most, like when you should be, you know, willing to try something that is totally outside of the realm of your comfort zone. You know, I share this with a lot of people, but uh, I love this idea that true self-discovery begins where our comfort zone ends. And it's really, really important that, you know, I heard somebody else say this recently, but like when you find the thing that scares you, run towards it. Or there's a, a quote from Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who's the first female president on the African continent. And she says, if your dreams don't scare you, then they're not big enough. And so I, I think, you know, recognize that the same amount of effort, and this, this is definitely true. Like it's, it's about the same amount of effort to create a $10 billion company or, you know, a hundred million dollar not-for-profit or for-purpose organization as you would put in to building a, call it $5 million company or, you know, a $1 million organization, you're still going to put in everything that you have in order to make it successful. And so you might as well shoot for the stars because it's way more exciting. It's more inspiring. People believe in big visions. And it also motivates you to think bigger, to go after that thing that, that oftentimes kind of scares you. In my mind, there's just far less motivation in, in kind of playing it safe. Oh, that's beautiful. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today and for all that you've done and for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for everything you've done and super excited about this. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If you want to send Adam a message, you can do so over on Twitter at Adam Braun. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at just C as in crazy dreams can come true lively. For show notes for today's episode, head over to JessLively.com slash Adam Braun. And before I share where I'm headed next, let's talk with Squarespace user Diana Chaplin of DianaChaplin.com about her experience with the service. Diana, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a copywriter and editor and a content strategist for mission-driven entrepreneurs and businesses. I also do some freelance photography. I'm the director of a co-working space in my town, and I have a wellness and inspiration blog called wellspired.com. So I'm kind of a Jane of all trades, and I have a few ventures, but my personal and professional home base is at dianachaplin.com, which is my Squarespace site. What city are you in with your co-working space? I'm in Williamsburg, Massachusetts, which I just moved to from New York City just around this time last year. How are you liking it so far? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's beautiful. It's New England. It's just the greatest thing. Let's move into the Squarespace part of this story. Why did you choose Squarespace for your website? Well, if I can just back up a little bit, just to explain why I chose it. So originally, I've been using a different site provider for wellspired.com, which is my wellness blog. And that's something I started as a side project long before I left my full-time job to become a freelancer. And while I love that site and it's grown really well, it did require professional help to set up. So I had to pay for that. And it's also a little bit complicated on the back end. 
And so when it was time to launch my freelancing business, I really wanted something that was quick and easy that I could put together myself and something that would just look professional and modern. And after shopping around and comparing a few different site hosts, Squarespace became the really clear choice for me. And I think the reason is that I just, I really resonated with their vibe (laughs) Um, because I noticed that different site providers kind of cater to slightly different industries or audiences. And I just felt that Squarespace's templates and offerings really spoke to the creative entrepreneur, which is what I was stepping into. So there was a lot of just instant connection on a subconscious level, I think. So that's why I chose it. And I really love it. What's your favorite part about Squarespace? So I think that the overall user experience is just really, really what makes me happy. You know, a lot of people say that it's really quick and easy to use, and that's totally true. And I think that the underlying reason is also just the thoughtfulness that went into creating the platform, the way that the editing menu is laid out, how easy it is to just quickly rearrange things, to customize it, and also the actual options that are there and how long they are with modern businesses, like the Instagram feed that you can integrate, the newsletter subscribe feed that you can literally just click and drag in there, the contact forms that you can just put wherever you want. All of these things, you can also connect with your other accounts like your MailChimp and Google Analytics. You can just do all that with the click of a button. So I just love that. And it's really clear that the makers of Squarespace really thought about simplicity, marketing, and beauty. And it's all just rolled into this one awesome, affordable package that just works. I love that. You said that so well. So for anyone who wants to give Squarespace a try, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively for a free 14-day trial. So try it out for two weeks. And if you like it, you can get 10% off of your paid service by entering the code lively at checkout. Diana, where can people find you online again? You can find me at dianachaplin.com or wellspired.com, like inspired, but well. And I'm also uh, wellspired on Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Diana. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. As for where I'm headed next, I'm going to be in Ghana for the rest of this week, and then I am headed to Cape Town. While I'm in Ghana, I will definitely be vlogging so you guys can come along on this experience. And once I get back, we'll have that ready for you so you can see firsthand the school that you single-handedly have helped create. Thank you guys so much again, not only for all of your support here on the show, but also for joining the classes and any other ways that you have touched the Lively community. Knowing that this is benefiting you in some way, big or small in your own life, Also, just keep in mind that it's also rippling out and uplifting others across the globe. I can't wait for our next school to be happening. I have a feeling it will be in Guatemala or Laos, the two other locations that Pencils of Promise works with. And I cannot wait, hopefully, to be able to go to those locations too and take you along with me. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. 